listen to Two Married Lesbians discuss an LGBTQ plus book each month that highlights the queer human condition as they use connection and humor to relate the issues to us as a queer community. She's Anna. And she's Miranda. I am. And we're two married lesbians. We are. And we're all queer here. Hello, folks. We are so excited to bring you this cool interview with Zoe Sivak, where she tells us all about her brand new book, Mademoiselle Revolution, which is out today. Oh my gosh, go get it. And we hope you enjoy this interview. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. I'm Miranda. I'm Anna. And uh, we're, we're two, well, as our podcast says, we're two married lesbians that talk about books. <laughs> oh my uh, God, I'm really thrown off by that. Oh wow, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I'm not okay with queer content. Let's get no, out of here. No, that's not, that wasn't advertised. Mm-mm, no, not at all. Not, no, not that at was all. not what it said in the tin. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were super excited. So uh, I just finished it today. And I finished it this weekend because I wanted to be fresh in my mind, but also like I couldn't stop reading it. So I was trying to like, yeah, put it out for like a, a day and then go back to it. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Okay. Well, regardless, that so. just makes sense. Still feels weird, but I'm glad you read it. Thank you. But it, it, yeah, how does how does that feel having your baby out in the world? Uh, I mean, that's the point, I guess. But it is. I think there's a. It's something that you know. Imagine if you had an imaginary friend that suddenly came to life. It kind of feels like that, um, where people are like interacting with this person, like it's real, and you're just like, I made that for myself. Yeah. You know. So it's Fred a little small. <laughs> Right. Like it, it's more just like, it's weird that people are able to interact with it and engage with it and like it, you know, as their own, you know, identities and their, their own selves, which is the beauty of books and, and writing them. So I'm, I'm, I have to get used to it because I have yeah. less than 24 hours. Until yeah, it's, five, it's so coming. Yeah. It is coming. Well, um, we, we just got so excited to talk to you. We kind of jumped, jumped to the shark. Um, but we wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of introduce yourself as you wish for people to take you in. Sure. Um, my name is Zoe Sivak. Um, she, her. I uh, wrote Mademoiselle Revolution. It's my debut. Um, I pretty much only read and I only write historical fiction. Um, should I do a quick blurb of the book? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. It's fresh on our mind and I don't want to give away any spoilers because there are no, sure. some pretty big twists. I yeah well you know that's the struggle with historical fiction is that like yeah. it's not like I, you know I was actually having this conversation with someone else and I was just like well if I say someone a certain person dies like it's very public knowledge <laughs> like I know but like for me I don't always look it up because like I kind of want to be surprised no 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 and that's, I go and look it up yeah. that's exactly that's exactly my issue is that like I don't expect people to know you know does Dent Hall make it you know what happens to Augustine like you know I don't expect people to have that kind of knowledge. But at the same time, it's historical, like, fact. So it's, it would be like, you know, us talking about, I don't know, the Civil War and being like, oh, you know, I don't know, does General Custer make it? You know, like, it's, yeah. it's like, I don't know either. I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I never, you know, I don't know what to, what to say, you know, how much to give away. But the basic, neutral, non-spoilery, um, you know, blurb would be that the story is about, um, a mixed race uh, free woman of color named Sylvie 
Um, she's born and raised in Saint-Domingue, which is modern Haiti. And she's born to a, um, an enslaver. His name is Julien, and he has an indigo plantation. And as she begins to realize not only her own complicity and, 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 and the way that she fits into the system of enslavement, she, she's like, ah, got to get out of here. She flees um, looking for safety in France. Uh, and because it is 1791, the French Revolution is about to really become what we know it is, um, what it will become, which is the reign of terror, um, only a few short years later. So she kind of leaves one revolution and inadvertently flees to another and has a lot of dissonance, um, not only kind of physical uh, conflict and physical obstacles that she has to overcome, but a lot of internal ones, some um, made up on, on her own and others that unfortunately are, you know, hundreds of years in the making. That's a very messy, messy blurb, but that's that's roughly, I think, how the story plays out. Well, I mean, it was a very messy, messy time in history. Yeah, there was yeah, nothing yeah. clean cut. <laughs> no, most it, well, except the, the story, right? It should be cuts were very clean. Those were. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, they're they're mowing the they're mowing outside. Sorry no worries. About. We have we have pugs that bark and dig suddenly on their crates. It's just part of the ambiance. Part, exactly, part of the ambiance of a podcast. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I think the episode we just dropped this morning, um, our cat is just forlornly meowing in the background. And we were talking about, like, bad things, and we're like, see, she agrees. She's upset, too. Right, right, right. So, you just, you roll it in, you know? Yep. I do my best. You speak a little bit for your idea of the novel and your author's note at the end. What did you go into your inspiration in the process your writing process for Mindless Well, I'm so sorry. So were you, were you, was the question asking your, what? Your, your inspiration. Right. Okay. Some of your, your writing process for it, since it is okay. such a messy time, but it doesn't read messy. It just reads like this is like linear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I understood you. It, no, it's, it is, it's a big old mess, the book and everything that it depicts. <laughs> but um, I would, I would say that the inspiration was, I think my own identity as a mixed race woman and understanding what that really meant for most of um, I would say modern history. Um, you know, when I when I started to understand kind of how being mixed race, um, what I, I'm very familiar with what that meant in the United States, right? We're very familiar with quote unquote chattel slavery and kind of all of that, the messiness that goes into saying that people are property and then not really treating them like property um, or vice versa. So I found it really fascinating when I was starting to understand more about Haiti and Haiti's past and how fundamentally it informs our future. Let's say if you're, if you're living in the 18th century, it informs your future. Um, mm -hmm. And how Haiti is so fundamentally tied to France and to the United States and also how different the Black experience was there. Um, different traumas, different, uh, well, because, you know, Blackness isn't a monolith. So it was, it was just really fascinating to me. And I wanted to kind of, while using a person, kind of acting as that intersection between our understanding of, of these worlds all kind of happening at the same time, who all are working on the same enlightenment ideals, and yet everything manifests in a different way. Uh, so I wanted to write a book about that. Well, it was, I mean, we really enjoyed the way that you explored it. And um, I know I personally really enjoyed the way that, that you spoke about it as sort of a, a processing technique for the past few years um, through not only being isolated in a pandemic, but also 
you know, reeling from, I mean, obviously many tragedies, but very forefront in America's mind, the, you know, the murder of George Floyd, and that this was kind of a project that helped you unpack a lot of those systems of oppression. Um, and the untold and, stories of history. Absolutely, which actually, great segue, Anna, that actually brought me to, to the next question. Um, one of the things that I was really passionate about that I learned about originally in college is this sort of concept of medicinal history, that there are countless people that have very untold, complete erasure, um, whether it be due to like colonialism, whether it be due to the fact that they were women, um, but their stories were completely erased, despite the fact that they were very impactful pieces of history. And um, I was just, you know, we were kind of curious, how, have, you know, how does that play out for you? What are your thoughts on kind of what that is? Because it seems like a real love letter to that same Oh, I, I mean, that, sure. That's, I mean, that's exactly kind of what my, my catchphrase. If, if, if we can call it that, but kind of the mentality that I have in my approach to writing historical fiction is restorative um, to emphasize the importance of, of not understanding history as something that is, um, how, how do I best say it? It, it? Don't view history as though you would view something, say, in a museum, um, mm -hmm. where it is to be admired or appreciated with significant emotional and physical distance, right? It, it's more that we're on a treadmill. Um, and unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, some of which you, you touched on, we don't have the, you know, the full and complete, we don't have all the steps that, that mm -hmm. work on that treads, treadmill. And even though we're repeating the same ones. Um, and so I thought it was um, critical. And I, I mean, I, I, something that I always wanted growing up, I didn't know how to articulate that. Um, and so now, um, as a young woman who's, you know, had the privilege of, of getting a really solid education and experiencing that my life as I have, I wanted to kind of in my place as an author, which you have no obligation to, especially people um, who are, you know, traditionally ostracized or, or undermined. Um, but I do like to educate. That is something I personally do like doing. Um, and I find that restoring a fuller, more complete picture of what I, in this instance, the French Revolution and the Haitian Revolution, um, I think that that will help heal a narrative that we unfortunately have, we, we receive a very specific one. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not always complete and it's not always thorough. Um, it's mm -hmm. sometimes excessively, uh, it's been a bit bleached in all, in all uh, sometimes literally, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. so that's kind of the goal, right? It's to, it's to not invent or create, you know, these instances or, or, you know, beats where it's like, oh, you know, we know that this wouldn't have been possible, but let me, and, you know, insert this person. I'm not really interested in doing that. Um, there mm -hmm. are spaces um, where, you know, maybe inventive or reimaginative history, that's fun. Like that's, I'm not knocking it. It's just for me, I'm much more interested in, real historical times and spaces where there were black people, there were queer people, there were, you know, people of all forms. Um, and I, I want to restore that so that when we look back, um, we're able to, you can't, you can't learn anything from a history that is being taught incorrectly. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 You just learn, you know, half truths. Absolutely. Yeah. Half truths aren't really, aren't really the truth. Right. Nope. Yeah. 
No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Let's talk about the people. So I love that all the women featured in the book were very strong, and we only really saw weaknesses in the men. Um, was that intentional? Do you do you feel that way? Yeah, we talked we talked about it. We usually don't talk about books until we do podcasts. But we did. <laughs> we talked about this book in length last night to prepare, and I was like, yeah, I just think you know you have um, some political leaders that kind of the power kind of goes to their head, whether that's anxiety or that just you know madness or they can't stomach it anymore. And then the women, even when they're some of them are in prison, they are still like, we're here, we're still doing okay, and there's just like they're just going to muster the strength until they can hopefully get out. So it doesn't really matter what I think. Um, because, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I mean it. I would, I would disagree. Um, I think they're all quite messy. Uh, but well, we didn't say everybody right. was perfect. Messy. Okay. How about this? Um, there, there is, um, I, you know, I don't know what, what, how to articulate necessarily strong, but I would, I would say, or maybe not weak, but it's, uh, there's a lot of character flaws and a mm -hmm. lot of um, vulnerability. Uh, specifically, mm -hmm. I would say Sylvie uh, is, mm -hmm. is, is kind of a mess um she you know well, aren't we all right she right uh, but I think she learns some things she does she does learn from things um i you know I, I think you have to decide as a reader how generous to be and i think when you're you know have a protagonist you want to be generous because you want to root for them i don't think you always have to likability is different than liking your protagonist if that makes sense um mm -hmm. and so uh, you you want to like her and, and most people generally do even if she's you know very difficult um, but she, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, if she were a real person, I, I don't know how much I'd want to engage with, you know, she, she, a little, a little much too late, um, or too little too late, I think for, I think in my view of Sylvie, though she does everything in her power once she does, um, come to terms with a lot of these concepts that we talk about in the book, um, you know, she, she does try to be better and to do better, um, but she still makes her mistakes, which she's allowed them. Um, but you know, Cornelie is is a very uh, a very strong character. Um, but she uh, she comes from a, a place of immense privilege and doesn't really consider that a lot when mm -hmm. she you know navigates with Sylvie. I mean, I don't I don't blare that out on a mega you know megahorn when you know navigating it because I don't think Sylvie she wouldn't have the framework or language to like describe that in the way that I am right now. But I mean. Yeah. Cornelie comes from, you know, everyone has that friend who was upper middle class and had a whole family and, you know, had all these privileges. It doesn't make them a bad person. It just means that sometimes there's this disconnect. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes we react out of past traumas or, or, or things that we don't have control over. And they aren't going to be quite as generous because they didn't come from that space and they don't know how to recognize the difference between a character flaw and, you know, I'm reacting out of hurt because, you know, I had this trauma that happened in my life. You know, they didn't have a word for PTSD until... I think it was um, it was right after the Civil War. The uh, Civil War was the first time they specifically tried to attribute, you know, things to the battlefield, and they wouldn't attribute that to anything else except war. So, you know, mm -hmm. there were things that Sylvie would be doing or saying and feeling, um, and you know, might just look sloppy on the outside. But to someone like you know, for us, where we know what she comes from and and all the things she's going through, maybe we'd be a little bit more generous. And Cornelia, unfortunately, can sometimes be. She's kind of a hard ass. Um, and I wrote her that way. And I wrote her that way. I wanted her to be, you know, I think, you know, Sylvie would be attracted to that and, and, and want to be around a woman like that. Because again, Sylvie's always kind of trying to feel the way that you are describing her, which is as a strong woman, where I don't think Sylvie yeah. would feel that way. I don't think she would feel particularly strong. Um, yeah. 
but I still like that that's that was what you felt and it's what you read and like that's yeah. why I said it doesn't really matter like it doesn't matter you know like, I mean, you know like um, the things that she goes through I mean the day that she gets caught in the carriage and she just mm -hmm. like keeps going and her brother insists no no I'll take you to the doctor and she's like I'm fine and so I think as people are she's so used to people putting her in this box of what she can and right. can't be especially in societal norms right. um and that she's finally like she gets to France and she's finally like this is me kind of taking a stand in what I want to do and what I can do right. in this revolution. Yeah. No, I, yeah I, I'd, I mean, I'd agree with that. That was definitely like a big moment of agency and it was supposed to feel like that. So I'm, yes, I would totally agree with that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just cause you're messy doesn't mean you're not strong. I'm just saying. <laughs> as oh, a messy no, person, no, I use messy as my catch all. <laughs> no, messy is my catch all term for just about everything. Um, so it's like, no, and, and you can be, um, you know, I don't, you know, surviving something um, isn't quite the same, I think, as thriving. And mm -hmm. Sylvie would want to thrive. And for mm -hmm. most of her life, she survives. And I think that's yeah. kind of what I, where I'm coming from when, you know, some people may say, and rightfully so, regardless, you know, who knows everyone's past experiences, but they may see what she goes through and say, oh, she's, you know, really strong. You know, I, in my opinion, um, she survives and she does make concrete choices that I'm very proud of her for making, but most of her life is about surviving. Um, mm -hmm. and I would want more for everybody, um, you know, so that they can kind of reach for, for more than that, than oh, you know, you, you made it or you survived this or you survived that. And it's, it's, it's almost as a course of necessity, I think. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that, I don't know, like that just, it, it saddens me with her and with so much, that people have lived through, you know, both past and present, where you know we we don't necessarily survive because we we want to or because of any choice we made. It's just because of how we look or where we were born, um, yeah. which sometimes feels different. You know, I, it's I've been on the receiving end of oh, you were very strong for for doing this, or you were you know wow you achieved this, or why you didn't. Sometimes a lot of these elements are not necessarily up to me, right? Um, I'm sure there are things in your life where it's like you know yes I. I succeeded or I, I survived it, but it's like, sometimes it can feel not all of it was in my power. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, I have, I think I have a nuanced like perception of if my own personal kind of perspective on, on strength. And there, there are certain things that I would label as strong and certain things I would label as necessity. Mm. Maybe that's, I think that's the best way to like, it's an interesting designation. Right. Yeah. It, it's not super relevant to what we're talking about, but like, I, th I think maybe that's why I was like, my reaction was like, I don't know, like what I call her strong. And it's, you know, so like, you know, when I do something because I think it is necessary, like maybe that's just not how I would characterize it, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't strong just because I don't characterize it that way. So sure. Yeah. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Well, there is a lot of action in the book. What are some things, without revealing too much, that you want readers to take away from this book? Um, the things to take away? Uh, um, um, I want them to, it's more about feelings. I would, I would say that it's, for me, it's more about certain feelings um, as opposed to like anything concrete. So I want them to feel really close to 
I want them to feel close to people that lived in the 18th century. I, I you know, I don't know how else to, because that's really what I'm shooting for whenever I write something. It's like, yeah, I, I want to teach certain things. Like I said, I, I want to teach people, you know, I want them to learn about the connections between all of these countries and these historical beats. But like the most important thing to me is to care um, and not just to, like a lot of historical fiction I think is escapism, which is valid. Like I, I, I love historical fiction, that's all I read. Um, but I think sometimes when we treat it that way, we forget, again, these are real people, you know, they, they weren't when they were alive, that was just their present. Um, and so I, I want when people read it, I want them, I want it to feel intimate and, and just as present and powerful as anything that you could read about today. Um, and to treat it with the same nuance and the same criticism and the same, I don't know, depth. Um, as we treat any type of tragedy or political intrigue that's happening. Um, because again, like for, for these people, you know, 1791, that was just, they had a new year, just like we had a new year that, you know, they, they couldn't have completely known what was going to happen. They may have suspected mm -hmm. certain things, but just like, you know, we have, uh, you know, we, we think or conjecture, I mean, we can't be certain and they weren't certain. So it, I, I think that's the biggest thing. It's more of a, a sense of closeness um, to the time that I really want people to feel. Well, speaking of closeness, yeah. we loved the queer inclusion. Oh. Um, that was that was definitely right up our alley. Was um, it? I'm still not getting that. Not I know. Her. I know. Surprise. It... Surprise. Um, <laughs> but would you would you care to share why including queer perspectives in historical fiction, especially, is so important to you? Because queerness is a construct that is very new. Um, we kind of developed it as we understand it. Like I'm super bisexual and that's how I'd identify, right? I like women and I like men and sometimes genders in between. So, but that idea that we have is very modern and a lot of the dissonance that we experience between ourselves and our religion and our culture, all of these things are fairly new doesn't mean it's less important or less real, but it's just new, just like race is a social construct. It's just newer um, and still has incredible and unfortunate impacts on people's lives. And so when I write about queerness, um, and this is just my personal belief, I'm not really interested in a lot of the angst um, because unless you were in a marriage and there was you know, a real obstacle you know, uh, systemic or um, institutional obstacle between you and your partner, a lot of people had, I mean, romantic partners of the same sex. It, it wasn't viewed in the way that we view it now. Sexuality wasn't delineated by who you as it, you just did. Um, you know, especially, I mean, there's so many running jokes about, you know, that, I mean, that's what girls did when they went to school. Like that was the whole joke. I mean, you, you, you know, obviously we speak English. And so, you know, if you look at like, uh, you know, in the 19th century, when all the girls would go off to school. I mean, they would form these romantic relationships with these women and you were simply just expected to, it was supposed to stop when you got married, that's true. Um, but I, I, when I talk about queerness, I didn't want it to attach all the modern labels that we're so used to putting on it and the modern burdens. Um, mm -hmm. Because Sylvie was a fairly independent woman for most of this book. I mean, what her brother didn't care. He was a bit of a libertine. This was an extremely liberal time in, you know, in France. Um, and, and sexuality was, people were fairly comfortable with it. And half of the revolutionaries were gay 
you know, as we would probably, you know, articulate them. I mean, not half, but like, well, if the number's one in 10, then at least 10% uh, were, you know, were gay men. And, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not, it just seems so natural. Why would I not, you know, her and Cornelie, it just seems such a natural development to me. Um, it didn't occur to me to not put it in. How about that? It didn't occur to me, like as a bisexual woman, it's weird when I don't write by characters. It's a little uncomfortable when I don't write by characters, to be honest. Um, it's hard writing from like a straight perspective because, you know, growing up, I, I'm realizing I never had a straight mind, you know? So the things that I may think are normal, like being kind of attracted to everyone, um, that what I, I thought that was normal. No, it's not. It is not whatever, you know, that's not what happens for everybody. Um, and so, you know, for me in my writing, I just, queerness is almost an assumption. Now, queerness is a modern creation, but I still will use it to describe the book because we're modern readers and we're looking at it. But so it's, I, I just like, yes, it's queer. She loves boobs, like same, like I like I feel that, but she she's just like a good dick in, some good boobs. Like yes. it's, it's, you know, we'll take it all and say thank yeah. you on the way out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, put that in if you choose to put it in. Yeah. It's been hard, I had to say like so PG for all of these. Cause like I normally, you know, I make, I, you know my brain is always in the sewer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's been hard for me to keep it PG. <laughs> no, it's, it's well, like most of our episodes, we try to keep clean because I think oh, so much good. queer content gets curated away from folks, right? Because yeah. that is yeah, queer content, shit. but yeah. this, this episode, like, we've had a couple where we've marked them explicit so that we can be right. safely not like, yeah, right, right, right. About a certain sex scene, and we, you know, we mm, talk about the right. ratings from the publishers weekly and all that. I, I think sometimes in our in our love to like be out and to be really comfortable is sometimes I know I'm guilty of this. You go from zero to like butt plug, which yes. isn't necessarily, <laughs> you know, that's not like there is more nuance that isn't necessarily explicitly about sex, even though again, sure. all about it. Um, yes, but it's Just, like, yeah. I understand. Yeah. I understand your, your the frustration again. You're more than welcome to cut that out. Um, it does not. <laughs> I, I love this to, to the literary discourse. Well, we we loved it. Um, so, what uh, what are you excited about on the horizon? Like, do you have book tour coming up? Do you have anything exciting as far as um, when another book is coming out? Oh, okay. She just got this. No. I can't. Well, you know, not allowed to talk about it, unfortunately, but hopefully that will change soon. I'll tell you one thing. So I read historical fiction as like a break from all the thrillers I read. I'm like, I right. wholesome. not that thrillers aren't wholesome, but I guess, you know, wholesome. I need a break from a thriller. Yes. I'm going to read about the French yes. Revolution. And I was looking at the book before I started and Kate Quinn has a fantastic endorsement on the back. And I was like, I love Kate Quinn. I was like, it's I great. love this book. I was like, this is like another version of Kate Quinn. And I'm going to like follow this author and read all her stuff. And I was like, wait, this is her only book? And I, so I was like, tell me, I was like, double check. She's like, you're the librarian. I was like, double check. I got it wrong. It's going to be her only book. Like, Calm down. She's amazing. I sent out my thank you notes to everybody who wrote like a blurb with like gets one of my books and I signed it and I gave them all like a little like thank you note. I just Kate was really wonderful um and she went above and beyond and she's amazing so like your fandom is really appropriate like she she's just she's really great yeah but I was like I don't take those endorsements lightly you should I mean, yeah people people you know so I'm saying like if you're a Kate Quinn person you need to buy this book today 
Like, don't Amazon it. Drive your butt to the store, Barnes and Noble, if it's still one near you, or half price or wherever, and get it. Buy it now. Like, yeah. stop listening and go get it. <laughs> or so, listen on your way. I'm I mean, they can my, do that. I hope your parents don't listen because I'm putting it on my Christmas list or Christmas list of Christmas gifts. So I love it. Oh my god. Your parents what? don't listen to. What do you mean you're putting on the Christmas list? You already have it. Yeah, but I want to buy some for other people. Oh, I got you. I understood exactly what she meant. You want to give it to other people. You didn't. You got to keep up. I, yeah, sorry. I was, I immediately had a disconnect because I was like, but my heart wait, but I'm not. So I, I loved that you put um, that you were Jewish on your, your Insta bio. Oh, I'm like, yeah. Yay! Yeah, Me too. Let her answer the question. Oh, sorry. We didn't let well, you answer the question. We are. She said that there's something she can talk about. Okay. Something, so something in the works. Do you have a book tour coming out? I, no, we, uh, book tours, I've, I've noticed normally get, you get them for like sophomore novels. Um, mm, but okay. uh, for now, you know, no, no book tour. But you but are working on something? Wink, wink. I, I, I'm not I I'm I can't read. But you're I, you're pretty you're pretty busy outside of writing. I'm also very busy outside of writing. I have the um so beside um any projects I may or may not be announcing, I have um I just finished up my JD, so my law degree. I just finished up my MPH. Um I'm I'm interviewing right now. Uh, I'm plan to be working um in local Philadelphia hospitals. Um, I focus on maternal child health, so kind of those are my spaces. Um, so I just moved. My cats have space. Um, so I mean, my life feels like it hasn't stopped this summer. Um, but again, nothing but good things. So like positive angst, if there's such a thing. Yeah, um, love it. I I get that. Well, that we're we're very happy for you. You want to talk about where people can find you online? Yeah. Yeah. Where can we send them? They can they can send them. Like I forgot how to speak English. You can find me um, at Zoe dot author on Instagram, and you can also find me at Zoe Seaback at Twitter. Uh, I also have a website um, that I believe is just zoeseabackauthor.com. Um, you can also find me uh, in the Philadelphia area if you if you find yourself ever ever close. Um, they're great in bookstores, okay. and there's lots of historical vibes, which I find very helpful when uh, when writing. You know, I'm like, oh, I just want to trip on a loose brick that I'm in the perfect city. There you go. You really are. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a such a pleasure meeting you and talking to you, and we tried not to fangirl too much because I know that can be kind of awkward. But, um, I, I haven't experienced it enough to to have any. Oh, okay, okay. Like, yay! Like, oh, hi, strangers. You know, it's it's <laughs> nice for me. It's still surreal, to be honest. It doesn't feel real. So well, it's, you deserve it. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. phenomenal. And I'm really glad. Yeah. Like, I don't meet like people aren't boxes to be checked, but like it does really reassure me because you know I'm an amalgamation of identities, like queer and black and Jewish and all that stuff. But like when a black woman reads the book, who's blacker than me, like objectively, and it's just like, you did good. I'm like, yes. And then like when queer women read it or queer identifying women, you know, read it and they're just like, you did good. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it still feel when the communities that you love show you that love back, it does feel, it, it, it feels validating. So I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm glad that it appears genuine and sincere. Um, so I'm glad that the lesbian romance was good. <laughs> it was good. Um, again, I wish we had better language, but it was it was fun for me to be able to just write it without any hangups. Uh, yeah, we we loved it. I there was a because she, she was again slightly ahead of me, 
uh, in reading. Cool. And it was at one point I turned to her and I go, this is where the romance is going to happen. And then I get a few more pages in and I was like, a Sappho quote, this is the chapter. Here we are. Here we are. This is it. And I was like, just let it play out. Just let it play out. <laughs> so happy. I am such, I am insanely in love with epitaphs. Like I love just quotes. I think that they're atmospheric and they pull in like this circle space. And I laughed to myself because I'm a narcissist when she's just like, who's Sappho? Like, I just thought it was so funny. I made myself laugh, but I'm glad that you saw it as the, as the green flag that it was. Um, so good. We, we loved it. And we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, get, in the, get in the Zoom room with us. Uh, of apologies about the initial hiccup, but uh, thank you so much. Thank you for, for writing a beautiful book. We cannot wait for our uh, our listeners to check it out. We're um, we're just so thankful to have yet another wonderful piece to to read and recommend to others. Thank you for reading it. Thank you for sharing it and support. Thank you. And good luck on the the rest of your yes. tour junket. Yeah, and the interviews <laughs> and the interviews for your job. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to be very hoarse by the end of this month. Like happy, <laughs> but like I, I have just been talking nonstop and I, I don't, and I'm hoping it doesn't have to stop anytime soon. So thank you hey. so much.